What's up guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. As you guys know, I am your host Tyler and while Curtis and Charlie are busy spending time with their families over the Christmas holidays like most normal people out there, uh, I have actually been presented with a very short window of time here away from all of those holiday festivities. So I figured while I had some time, I'd just go ahead and jump on here and give you guys a little bit of content to tide you over through the holiday season. It's kind of always annoyed me, and maybe this is just me, and I'm just weird, which is probably the case, but it's always kind of annoyed me how some of the radio shows and the podcasts that I listen to pretty much just kind of like go dark over the holidays as though none of us have like any free time whatsoever where we might just maybe want to listen to some some sports content during the holidays. It it really sucks going to the gym or going for a Christmas morning run or, or even just driving for hours to visit family with absolutely nothing to listen to. That sucks. Uh, or maybe you just want to get away from Cousin Eddie for a little while and take some time to yourself. And I just don't want us to add to the problem. So This one is for all of you guys that, like me, you love your family, but you still need some Georgia sports in your life. And today on the show, in keeping with the Christmas theme, the Christmas holiday spirit, I'm going to give you guys my Christmas wish list for the 2020 Georgia sports calendar. And since for most of us in the Bulldog Nation, football is our first love, the majority of this list is going to be football-centric. That's just kind of how we roll. But I will sprinkle in a few other sports as well. I'm not going to completely ignore the other sports because as you guys know, all you guys have listened to us for a long time here, you guys know I'm just, I'm, I'm all about Georgia everything. If you, if you rock the G, I got you. I got you back 100%. So uh, I don't really care about pro sports. I'm, I'm all Georgia. I'm all Georgia 100% of the time. Georgia football, basketball, baseball, tennis, whatever it is. I'm Georgia, so uh, I'll be talking about some other sports as well, but definitely this list will be football-centric. And also, I I could, I want to say this, I could obviously very easily just say my wish list consists of one thing and one thing only, a football national championship, and just be done with the whole show, but that's no fun for anyone. So my football-related wishes will be things that I think will lead to that elusive first football national title since the 1980s season. I know you guys are all like me and you are so tired of hearing people bring up the year 1980. So obviously that is like the big overarching wish, but uh, that would be a little too easy. So I'm going to go with some things I think will help us get there. So let's go ahead and kick this thing off. I got 10 wishes on my wish list. I don't know how many of these are going to come true, but it'd be incredible if they all did. We'll see. Uh, But we're going to start with number one on my list. And obviously, you guys can probably predict this. As the president of the Jake Fromm fan club, we're going to start there. And all of you Jake Fromm haters, which I know you're out there, which is cool. Differences make the world go around. But you might want to fast forward about four or five minutes here if you're one of those people that think Jake Fromm is complete trash and it would be better off for us if he would just go ahead and leave. But my number one wish, or at least the first wish on my list, I don't. these aren't really necessarily ranked in order or anything, but the number one wish on my wish list, and maybe this one actually is number one on my list because I think it's that important. But the first wish is that Jake Fromm comes back for his senior season. Guys, despite what you may think about him, I personally believe that you have to be certifiably insane at this point to suggest that we'll be better off in the year 2020 
without Jake Fromm. I think you have to be crazy to suggest that because love him or hate him, Jake Fromm is going to give us our best chance to win next year with the other guys we have currently in that quarterback room. Now, you could say we could go out and get a grad transfer and he could be better than Fromm and go get a Derek King or something like that. That's fine. If that happened, that'd be sure that'd be great. I don't know if that would actually, in one year, he'd be able to, that, that, whoever that might be would be better than Fromm. But I mean, that, that's a possibility. But like right now, we don't know that. Like if we, if Jake decides to go pro, we don't know that we're going to land one of those high profile, the KJ Costellos, the Derek Kings out there. We just don't know that. Now, if we do, that would soften the blow some, but we don't know that. So let's just make it easy and say, Jake, please come back for your senior season. Because again, like I said, love him or hate him, he definitely 100%, without a doubt, gives us our best chance to win next year in 2020. We're going to have everything we need. I truly believe, I think we're going to have everything we need to compete for another national title, for to be right there yet again. But if we don't have the quarterback position set, if we're going with a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, I don't know, man. That That's going to make it very, very, very tough, especially going to, I don't know, like Tuscaloosa in week three and trying to win a game with a true freshman quarterback. That is going to be tough, whether they, whether they have Tua or not. Uh, and look, I, I know that Jake did not have his best year by any stretch of the imagination. I would be foolish to suggest that he did. We all saw the numbers down this stretch. What was the last five games, I think, five or six games going under 50% completion percentage. But guys, I still believe that Jake Fromm is the same guy he was in 2017 and 2018. I don't think that Jake Fromm forgot how to play the position. Let's not forget that as a sophomore in 2018, Jake Fromm had the third highest total QBR in all of college football behind the Heisman Trophy winner in Kyler Murray and the Heisman Trophy runner-up in Tua Tungavailoa. He had the third highest total QBR, QBR in all of America. He's still that same guy to me. And I've said this many times. You guys know what what I'm about to say because I've said it multiple times, but I'll say it again just one more time here. The biggest issue with Jake Fromm this year, and he had some issues mechanically, sure. I think he had some confidence issues as the season wore on. His accuracy wasn't as on point as it has been at times in the past. But the biggest issue was just a massive drop-off in skill talent around him at the wide receiver position. He just didn't have the talent to work with. When he did have the the talent to work with, a guy like Lawrence Cager in the game, a guy that he could rely on consistently. Uh, I've thrown these numbers out there. In the five games that Lawrence Cager played, like the full game, right? Uh, Jake Fromm's numbers were as follows. 73.8% completion percentage for 237.8 yards a game, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, and 10.9 yards per attempt when Lawrence Cager played a full game. In this, uh, in this seven other games, we've got Fromm's numbers at 52%. 179 yards per game, 12 touchdowns to five interceptions, and only 5.8 yards per play. The numbers with and without Lawrence Cager are stark. It's it's a dramatic difference. And I know George Pickens was a good player for us. He was really good for us as a true freshman. But he still wasn't a guy that Franco could count on consistently to run the routes like he wanted to, to be there in the, in the places that he was supposed to be in. And without Cager in the game, you have Pickens who was going to receive all the attention from the opposing defenses and he wasn't ready as a true freshman to go out there and still make them pay even though he was seeing double coverage. With without, with Cager in the game, they weren't able to dedicate as much attention to Pickens so Pickens could, could make plays, Cager could obviously make plays, but we just didn't have those guys in there at the same time enough to really make the difference like we needed to make throughout the entire season. And sure, I know the naysayers will say, well, that just means that Jay Fromm's completely dependent upon the talent around him. 
okay, sure. I think it's safe to say at this point, after what we've seen through the, through the first three years of Jake Fromm's career and what we saw this year, that yeah, he's a lot better when he has more talent around him at the receiver position. But can't you say the same thing about essentially any quarterback in America? Like Tua Tagovailoa is a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I'm trying. I'm not trying to denigrate him at all, but. Is he going to be as dominant? Is he going to be as productive, as dynamic without Jerry Judy, without Devontae Smith, without Henry Ruggs to throw to? Trevor Lawrence, an outstanding quarterback, but is, is he going to be as good or are his numbers going to be as incredible as they are if he doesn't have T. Higgins and Justin Ross to throw to? And you can say that just about any quarterback in America. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you take any of those quarterbacks that are in the college football playoffs this year and you put them on our team with our receivers, or you just trade our receivers with the receivers they had to work with, and you gave us the receivers they had to work with, I think Jake Fromm's numbers look a lot different. I think they look very similar to what he was putting up in the two previous years before this year. And I, I don't think the, the numbers of guys like Trevor Lawrence and Tuatunga Vailoa and even Justin Fields, I don't think their numbers would be near what they were if they had our receivers to work with. So I think you have to factor that in. I still believe that Jake Fromm absolutely is the same guy that he was his first two years in Athens. And then you add along with, if Jake comes back, well, even if you say, well, he's dependent upon upon the town around him, even if that is the case, all right, let's just say for argument's sake, that is the case. Well, we're going to have more talent around him next year. The influx of talent at that position with guys like Jermaine Burton and Arian Smith and Marcus Rosemey and Justin Robinson, and who knows, maybe, hopefully, God willing, Darnell Washington and tight end. With those kind of guys coming in, along with returning players that will take a, hopefully take another step with guys like George Pickens, if we can get Dominic Blaylock back healthy in time, Demetrius Robertson, you add all of those guys together, I think we see Jake Fromm's numbers jump back much closer to where they were in 2018. So number one on my wish list for me, without a doubt, is Jake Fromm comes back for his senior season. And I am hearing right now from some people around the program here in town that he is very much leaning more towards coming back right now. I don't know that definitively. I can't, I'm not sitting here saying like he's 100% for sure coming back. There was some talk. Uh, the word actually right after the SEC Championship game was that he actually was leaning towards going pro. But after getting some uh, feedback, the NFL advisory board sending him some information, it looks like there's probably a really good chance that he will be coming back. But that still remains to be seen. Things could change. Don't know. But if Jake does not come back, that takes us to number two on my wishes. Now, this one is conditional. If Jake Fromm does indeed end up going pro, we need to go get KJ Costello as a grad transfer from Stanford. I, now, I know the, the big name out there right now, and it has been since, I guess, like week three or four when he announced that he was not going to play the rest of the season for Houston, is De'Eric King. I know that's the name that's been out there for a while in the grad transfer market, and everybody and their brothers are going to try to go out there and get at least everyone who is in need of a quarterback. And I'm sure we'll kick the tires on that one. I said as much when he first announced that he was sitting out the rest of the season, that is, was that if Jake goes pro, we need to go after De'Eric King and go after him hard. And I, and I still think that we should. I just, I'm not sure how realistic it is that De'Eric King would end up here in Athens. I'm not sure what he would think of the fit with our offense. Like maybe we could sell him on the idea, kind of like we did Justin Fields, that we were going to change our offense to fit his skill set. 
But I think he could look and say, well, you didn't really change it for Justin Fields, so why would you change it for me now? And, and maybe we, we are set on that, and maybe we would be able to sell him on that. But I think right now, the more realistic option for us, if Jake does end up going pro in terms of getting a grad transfer, I think KJ Costello, the grad transfer from Stanford, would be a more realistic option than De'Aaron Keene. I would be very happy with De'Aaron Keene. I think he would be a dynamic player for us. But I'm going to say KJ Costello right now. I just think that's a little bit more realistic. And the reason I would go so hard after him, it has nothing to do with my long-term belief in Carson Beck. I do think Carson Beck is going to end up being a good quarterback for us. I think he has a lot of potential to be a really good player. I just don't know how comfortable I feel with a true freshman quarterback. I know it's worked out for us before with Jake Fromm, but like, I don't know, man. Like, do we want to go through that again? That doesn't work out every single time. And more often than not, it doesn't really work out. So if we were able to go out and get KJ Costello or even De'Aaron King, maybe, I won't completely discount that, that would certainly soften the blow of losing Jake Fromm. And that's just, that's a much better option, either Costello or King or really almost any grad transfer quarterback. I shouldn't say any grad transfer quarterback, but any competent grad transfer quarterback would soften the blow and would potentially be a much better option than a, a either redshirt or true freshman quarterback. You know, as a sophomore, if you look at KJ Costello, I mean, I, you know, he didn't play much this year. He got hurt early in the year, came back for a game or two, then got hurt again. But if you go back to 2018, his sophomore season, he completed 65% of his passes for a little over 3,500 yards in a pro-style Stanford offense that's very similar. Well, it's, it's more similar to our offense than just about any other offense out there in, in college football these days. Uh, 8.6 yards per pass was the sixth highest rated quarterback in terms of total QBR in 2018 in all of America. He, he's an athletic, smart, pro-style guy who does fit our system more than a guy like De'Aaron King. We wouldn't have to kind of uh, completely transform things as much as we would probably have to for De'Aaron King. So KJ Costello, look, look, if Jake does go pro, like I'm throwing the kitchen sink at KJ Costello and De'Aaron King, but I think Costello might be more of a realistic option, as I said before. And if we were able to land him somehow, then I would feel much better about our 2020 prospects. Uh, if Jake goes pro and we're stuck with a true freshman quarterback or a redshirt freshman, if DeJuan Mathis ever gets cleared, or who knows, even Stetson Bennett, then I don't know, man. I'm, I'm looking at a three or four loss season probably in the regular season. But if we can get one of those grad transfer quarterbacks in here, then I, I think everything is still on the table for us. I, I believe that. I would prefer to keep Jake. That's why it was number one on my list. But without Jake, Costello Derek King would be best case scenario. So go hard after one of those guys. Certainly on my wish list. And now number three, sticking with the offense here for a couple of minutes. Number three on my wish list is just simply this. Bring in someone to kickstart this offense. And I'm not necessarily saying that we have to sack James Coley. I, I'm not going to go that far. I, I do. I will say this. I, I do think we could do better than James Coley. I don't think James Coley is a terrible coordinator. I don't think he's a terrible coach. He has value, especially on the recruiting front. But I, I think it's fair to say that the University of Georgia could go out and hire a better offensive corner than James Coley. I, I do believe that's the case. But saying that, I do honestly, I think he did a pretty good job calling plays within the framework framework of our scheme with the talent deficiencies we had at wide receiver and really the skill positions in general outside of, of DeAndre Swift. Uh, it's, it's just the scheme that I had and I still have an issue with. It's not the fact that we are a run-first offense. Like I, th I think that's missing the point. We can still very much be a run-first offense, but we can be a run-first offense with the running back talent we have, with the offensive line that we have, in a 21st century context where we utilize all of the field and just put more stress on defenses. That was my biggest complaint about our offense this year. I just don't think that we maximize the stress we could put on defenses formationally, schematically, from a personnel standpoint. We just did not maximize that. And to me, that's the that's where James Coley fell short this year. 
so that, that that's the thing that I'm talking about right now when I say that we have to kickstart the offense. We have to do something schematically. Now, the question I have, this is why I, I said earlier, like, I'm not necessarily saying that we need to have, just have to get rid of James Coley because I don't know how much of the scheme itself that Coley actually had control of. Was he given kind of like broad contours to operate within by Kirby Smart? Did Kirby tell him like, hey, James, this is what our offensive identity is going to be. Now, the individual play calls, the play designs, all that's up to you, but you need to fit it in with, within this framework. Was that the scenario or was he actually given a free hand and Kirby said, look, man, I don't care what you do. Just go out and score points and be productive. And this is the scheme that Coley chose to go with. So I don't really know the scenario there. Uh, I would be fine if we just flat out moved on from James Coley. Like, I wouldn't be like, I, I wouldn't be shedding tears over that. But on the other hand, like I would also be fine if we kept him and brought in like maybe a passing game coordinator like LSU did with Joe Brady, that injects new ideas, kind of breathes new life into what has become a stagnant offensive scheme. What I will say is all I know is that we cannot, we simply cannot come out in 2020 with the status quo. Something has to change. So whether that's getting rid of Coley and bringing an entirely new offensive uh, offensive coordinator, or that's bringing in somebody to work alongside James Coley to inject some new ideas, bring some new life in this program. Whatever it is, we need to do something to shake things up offensively. And again, it doesn't mean that we have to be like this pass-happy offense where Jake Fromm is throwing the ball 50-plus times. No, we can still be... A, a downhill rushing style offense, but just do, like I said, in, the, in a kind of a modern 21st century context where we're spreading the field, we're utilizing all the field, we're putting stress on defenses in all the ways that you can do now with the way the rules have been changed to favor offenses. So that is certainly that's something that's very high on my wish list for the 2020 football season. And before I move on to my next wish, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Vivid Seats. If you're still looking for tickets to the Sugar Bowl, the prices could not be better right now. I actually took a look at the at the Vivid Seats app earlier today, and ticket prices for the Sugar Bowl on Vivid Seats have dropped all the way down to $5 right now, guys. You can go get a pair of tickets with with every everything all in, probably like a total of like 14, 15 bucks. I mean, you simply cannot beat that. Go ahead and make the trip down to New Orleans. You can't not have a good time in New Orleans. So come down, grab some tickets for really cheap, get them on Vivid Seats. You won't have to worry about it at all. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. You're also automatically enrolled in their Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program simply by just downloading their app on the App Store or Google Play, and you'll be able to earn credits back. And when you find the tickets you want to buy and the seats you want to you want to sit in, just enter the promo code OVERTIME and all new users, if you enter that promo code OVERTIME at checkout, will receive a discount of up to $100. And then the next thing here, the next wish is more personnel-based. One thing that I think will help the offense regardless of scheme is just quite simply upgrading the skill talent. So my next wish is that both Darnell Washington, tied in out of Las Vegas, and Zach Evans, running back out of Texas, pick us when they make their public announcements at the All-American game or the Under Armour All-American game on January 2nd. I feel really good about both of those guys right now. Uh, a lot of the crystal balls from 247 Sports coming in on, on, on Washington and Evans. 
picked up a lot of steam with Evans. You know, we were you know, we were really high up on his list for a long time there. We thought he might come in, in the early fall. Then he kind of backs off that and it looked like he was training away from us. Maybe it was LSU, maybe it was AM. And all of a sudden, really like right after the early signing period, like the next day, we started hearing a lot of talk about Zach Evans and Georgia. We're back in it with him. In fact, we might be the front runner. And it looks like he might have potentially even already signed early and just hasn't announced it. It's kind of holding off to announce it at the Under Armour All-American game. Same story, Darnell Washington, in terms of uh, looks like he's already uh, signed with a team. And it, from most accounts, it seems like that team is us. But I, I just never feel good about these things until they actually go public. So we definitely need to upgrade the skill talent. We've done a, we did a good job of that in the early signing period, but we need more help. And Darnell Washington, man, look, we have no proven option at tight end coming into 2020. We have some guys I think potentially can be good, can grow into good players. I'm really high on Brett Scyther as a receiving option. Ryan Goat, if he can come back healthy, I think can be a good player for us. John Fitzpatrick can be good. He still needs to add a little bit of weight, add some bulk there. But make no mistake about it, if Darnell Washington does end up committing to the G, I think I don't want to just assume he's going to be a day one starter, but I think he's certainly a contender to be a day one starter at the tight end position. He's an absolute freak. Over 6'7", 260 pounds, and just to watch the way that guy moves, that he is, an, he is the definition, the epitome of a mismatch, a matchup nightmare at the tight end position, the kind of guy that we simply have not had at that position in a long, long time. So he would be a major boon to this offense. And then, like, we're going to have major shoes to fill with DeAndre Swift leaving, and Zach Evans would be an instant contender for that role, to come in and be uh, a guy that can be number one, number two back, potentially. I think he is the alpha running back in this class. Uh, I'm really high on Kendall Milton. I think Kendall Milton is a really, really good back. He'll be a contender to get some major carries next year as well. But Zach Evans, um, he's a dude. He's an absolute dude. He's a total package. Um, his short shuttle, I think it was like 3.84 short shuttle, like under four. I mean, that is, guys, if you're not familiar with like what a good short shuttle time is, like that's like off the charts. Like that's better than just about any running back that goes into the NFL draft, goes to the NFL combine. I mean, that is as elite as it gets in short area quickness. I mean, this guy is an absolute athletic freak as well. Maybe not the size of Darnell Washington, but he's a total package. He runs with good power. He's got great speed. He's really, really quick in the short area. Uh, and he's just he's just a home run threat at all times. So if we get both those guys, then those would be two really good options to add to the skill talent. And that's something that we certainly need to upgrade moving forward. Now, number five, sticking with a running back position. Uh, the next wish I have here on my 2020 wish list is that Zamir White, Zeus, returns to form. Coming out of high school, guys, before he tore both ACLs, he had one of the best running back highlight tapes I've ever seen. And that's not hyperbole, guys. Like, truly, one of the best running back highlight tapes I've ever seen. If you didn't really get a chance to watch that or you don't really remember, go back and remind yourself. Go back and pull up his senior highlights. And you'll see what kind of back Zamir White is when healthy. I mean, the guy was a freak. Talking about total package, like I mentioned with Zach Evans, Zamir White was the total package. Power. And we saw the power on display this year, but but we didn't see the speed, the, the acceleration, the cutting ability in a short area, the burst out of cuts. We didn't see that this year. We saw the power. We shouldn't see the rest of that this year, the rest of what he showed prior to the, the ACL injuries on both knees. Now, and we've seen this story before with Nick Chubb. I mean, Nick Chubb, God, he was so, so good before he got hurt. I mean, think back to that, was it the 2006? 
2015 season, guys, uh, before he got hurt at Tennessee, and think about the start. The thing about the start he had gotten off to that year, the guy was just absolutely murdering people. And then we all know what happens: gets hurt, hurt at Tennessee. There's the horrific injury, and it was just it was um, it was miraculous. It was a testament to his work ethic and his willpower that he was just even able to come back and start the season in 2016. I mean, very few of us thought that was even possible. But even though he was able to make it back, we have to admit, 2016, and I was open about this that year, if you were listening to us back then, as much as I love Nate Chubb, he was a shell of his former self in 2016. He was good. He was he was a solid back, but he was not the Nick Chubb from before. And he was not the Nick Chubb he is now. But after a year or so coming off the injury, that he could play after, you know, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten months out, but it really took about a, a good year and a half, two years for him to get back to anywhere close to the level he was at before the injury, and we saw that in 2017. Comes back in 2017, and he was so much better, so much faster, so much more explosive. I don't think he completely had the acceleration back, that burst back that he had before the injury. I think he's just now getting that back, you know, maybe even last year you could say with the Browns, and certainly this year he's just been off the charts for the Browns. But uh, it, it took a good year and a half, two years for him to come back and be anywhere close to the caliber running back he was before the injury. And I, and I think that could be the case for Zamir White. I know they're two different injuries. I will say I think Nick's injury was worse. Now it was one knee instead of both knees. Uh, but I do think that there's a really good chance that Zamir White will be look like a different back this year because we're going to need someone to step up. Like we have some good options, but like I, I don't know if we have a Deion. Like we don't we don't have anyone that's shown that they can be like anywhere close to DeAndre Swift, like that level of an alpha running back. I think Zamir White before the injury could have been that. So can Zamir White return to form? Can he be that guy he was before the injuries? And like I said, we've seen it with Nick Chubb. So like the, the precedent is there. It's just you don't know. He's a different guy, different injuries. We'll see. But we certainly need a guy to step up to be that guy, the dude at running back. And Zemir White is certainly going to be a contender there, especially if he returns to form. So that's certainly certainly something. And, and just for the, the kid himself, I mean, he's such a, from all accounts, such an amazing young man, works so hard, very Nick Chubb-like in a lot of ways. Here, talking about, talking about Nick Chubb, but very Nick Chubb-like in his, just his personality, his approach, his work ethic, all of those things. So I, I'm just cheering for the guy, but also it certainly be really good for our football program and our team for him to come back and be anywhere close to the form he was before the injury. All right, now my next wish is going to move over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, look, I told you guys coming into this season that I thought we would have a top five defense this year. I thought this would be the first truly elite defense in the Kirby Smart era here at the University of Georgia. And that kind of played out. But I think that next year's defense will has a chance to be even better if, if, if we don't lose any key contributors. So my next wish here, my sixth wish, is that we're going to have no attrition among major contributors from this year's defense. And there and there's a couple of guys that I'm watching for here. We'll see. Richard LeCount had a really good year, especially the second half of the year. Really came on, kind of uh, became much more of that, that type player that we thought he would be coming out of Liberty County High School. Uh, Monty Rice is a guy who had a really good year inside linebacker. He actually played at a level that I didn't know he was capable of. I mean, he showed some burst, some acceleration, some sideline sideline speed that I had not really seen from him the first couple of years. I thought he had an outstanding year. Of course, Eric Stokes has been a really good cornerback for us. Those are three guys you got to watch for potential declarations of the NFL. I had heard from around from some people around town here in Athens that Monty was actually, surprised, at least to me, surprisingly, kind of considering jumping into the NFL. He had some pretty solid feedback. But what I'm hearing right now is he's actually leaning more towards coming back. So I feel pretty good that he'll be back. Same thing with Richard LeCount. Eric Stokes, I haven't heard as much about, so I can't really speak on that. Another name I would watch that I'm, I would love for him to stay. I would love for him to stay. 
Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that I'm not trying to sound the alarm. He's going somewhere. So don't run and say that I, I'm going, I'm spreading the word that Adam Anderson is leaving or anything. But um, I, I know he was not thrilled with his role in the team this year. You know, he started the year as uh, a guy that was in our dime package in that personnel grouping. They kind of fell out of, uh, out of that package for a little while in the middle of the season. We started to use Jermaine Johnson more in that role. And he kind of earned his way back late in the season. And I, and I thought it played really well for us that role kind of carved out a, a role for himself on this team. But I know he wants a bigger role. And I, I think in this guy, I told you guys when he came out a couple years ago, coming out of high school, I thought he was the best pure pass rusher coming out of high school that year. That he just still needs to add weight if he wants to get on the field more consistently. It, it's very much, it reminds me a lot of DeAndre Walker a couple years ago where his first couple years in, in Athens, he just couldn't keep the weight on. So he's like a, he was a third down pass rushing specialist. And that's kind of what Adam Anderson has been. But once DeAndre was able to keep the weight on, he became a, a three down linebacker for us. And I, I think Adam Anderson can, can be that type player and can follow that trajectory if he can just find a way to bulk up a little bit more and still maintain that explosiveness off the edge. So I'm not saying it's going anywhere. I just, that's a guy that I've kind of been concerned about. And that's just maybe a me, a personal thing, but look, if we don't lose any of those major contributors for our defense, then we are going to be flat out nasty next year. And I, I'm, I'm serious, guys. We will be, I think we'll be better next year on defense, even though we're losing some good players to graduation. Guys like Tyler Clark, those guys are moving. A guy like him, Tay Crowder, is a good player for us. He's moving on. Like we're and we're we're going to lose J.R. Reed as well. Like we're going to lose some guys, but you know, it's it's the guys that could be back next year. The guys that are going to be rising seniors that could potentially declare for the draft. If we can keep those guys in the fold and not lose any guys to the, to the transfer portal, then I think next year's defense is going to have the depth, the talent, the experience to be even better than we were this year. And that is a scary, scary thought for the rest of the SEC. You think about just how good we were defensively this year, and we could potentially be even better next year if we don't lose any more guys. All right, next up, I'm going to go with another recruit here. Now, this guy, we're going to look forward to the 2021 class. And my seventh wish list here is that we're, this is actually the last one on the football side of things. We'll move on to a couple other sports. But I would love, I would love for us to find a way to secure the commitment of quarterback Caleb Williams from Washington, D.C. He's a six foot one, 210 pound dual threat quarterback. If you haven't heard of him, he's number 15 player overall nationally in the 2021 class. We've been after him for a long time. He's made a number of visits here to Athens. He's very high on us. Uh, Oregon has gotten involved with him as well. So it's, it's by no means like a done deal that we're gonna get Caleb Williams. But I seriously want this guy. Uh, and he is, a, he is a true dual threat guy. Yes, he can absolutely move. He can, he can make plays with his legs. A lot of times you hear dual threat, that's just a euphemism for a guy who's athletic and can run and might not be the best passer, but no, 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 no. Caleb Williams, yeah, he can move, he can make plays with his legs, but he's a he's an excellent passer right now at this stage going into his senior year of high school. So I, I really, really, really want Caleb Williams, or I'll say this too, I'm also totally cool with this scenario. If Lincoln Riley gets the Cowboys job and leaves Oklahoma... Uh, there's a quarterback from Prince Avenue Christian School here in the Athens area, Brock Vandegrift, who is currently committed to Lincoln Riley uh, at Oklahoma. And it was really down to us in Oklahoma. He ends up going to Oklahoma. And who can blame him? Going to Oklahoma. And they, look, they had back-to-back Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. It makes a lot of sense for a high-level quarterback to go to Oklahoma. And Vandegrift's the number eight player nationally in the 2021 class, 6'2 200 pounds. He's more of a pro-style guy. He's athletic-ish, but not to the degree that Caleb Williams is. He's more of a pro-style type guy. 
But if Lincoln Riley doesn't get the Cowboys job, and there's a lot of smoke, a lot of conversation around that. Look, I don't know how that's going to play out. But if he does, I mean, if he does take that job, I think there's a really good chance that Brock Vandergriff decides, you know what, I'm not going to go to Oklahoma now. I'm going to take, I'm going to take my talents, and I'm going to go to the University of Georgia. And that's a possibility too. So look, either one of those guys, Caleb Williams, Brock Vandergriff, if things kind of turn our way with what happens with Lincoln Riley. I would be thrilled with. I'm certainly wishing for either one of those guys right now because what you can do is you, like quarterbacks typically commit early. That's why Brock Vandegrift is already committed. That's why I think Caleb Williams will commit here sooner rather than later. It, they commit early so you can build the rest of the class around them. So we can get one of those guys, build a 2021 class around them. And we also need someone to compete with Carson Beck. We just need, we need depth in that quarterback room. We, and not just depth, we need quality depth in that quarterback room. So that's certainly something that is very high on my wish list as well. All right, moving away from the gridiron, number eight on my 2020 Christmas wish list has to do with the Georgia basketball program. It's very simple, guys. I'm just wishing, I'm very hopeful that the University of Georgia basketball program can find a way into the NCAA tournament this year. That is a huge wish on my wish list right now. The offseason, at least the early offseason, it's just so much more fun. It's so much more exciting. It makes the football offseason pass a lot quicker when we're actually good on the hardwood. Now, we don't have a great history. We've only made it to the NCAA tournament twice in the past decade. And I'm not ready to sit here and say and pound the desk and say, we're going to the NCAA tournament. I'm not ready to say that right now. But I'm also not saying it's out of the question either. We had a huge win over an 8-1 SMU team at home last Friday to give us two quality non-conference wins. We have one that we got the win over SMU and also Georgia Tech. Uh, if you want to call it Georgia Tech a uh, quality non-con win, it's a power five, so or a major non-con win, whatever. And we also we still have another shot for a resume win over the James Wiseman-less Memphis Tigers. Now it's in Memphis. That's going to be tough. But no James Wiseman. That's on January 4th. So that's right after the Sugar Bowl. So if we can find a way, some way, somehow to get that win, that's a long shot. That's a long shot. But like right now, like we're sitting at seven and three with two very winnable games at home before we go to Memphis. So I think that it's very reasonable to say that we could go into the conference play at like nine and four. Uh, now we still have some work to do. We need to go 500 or better, probably better than 500, but at least 500 to put ourselves in position to have like a shot, to at least be in the conversation. And like for us, I think the, I think the ceiling for this team is probably like the bubble conversation. Like we're not going to be like a five or six or seven. Like no, no. Like we're going to be like one of those. Like we're going to if we have a shot to be anywhere near the NCAA tournament, it's, we're going to like be fluctuating back and forth between like last four in, first four out, like all that kind of stuff. Like we'll be one of those teams if we're getting anywhere near that. But like, I think we have the talent to, if we, if we continue to grow, if we continue to get better, these young and experienced players continue to grow, continue to get experience, um, I think we're gonna have a shot to be on the bubble. Because you think about that game against SMU, yeah, I mean, look, SMU is not like a great team, but they're a good, solid team in the, in the American Athletic Conference. But like we beat SMU without Anthony Edwards being anywhere near his best. He really wasn't particularly good in that game. He was definitely off, but we still found a way to win. The guys around him did enough. It's really nice to get Jordan Harris back. He's a guy that's got a lot of experience. He's he's 
instantly going to be our best perimeter defender. That's one area we've really struggled right now, really throughout the entire season's points defensively. So he brings some athleticism to the table. He's another shooter that we that we desperately need. We don't have a ton. We don't have a ton of shooters on the perimeter right now. And he adds another. And I don't know if you guys realize this. Everybody talks about Tyree Crump being a great shooter, and he's a good shooter. But Jordan Harris throughout his career has consistently shut a higher percentage from three than Tyree Crump has. Now he drives out of control sometimes in the basket, and just that drives me insane. But it's, it's a really good thing for our team to be able to get him back from suspension. He missed the first 12 games of the year. From what I understand, I think it was an academic uh, situation, but he is back now. So uh, it, it, if we just keep growing, keep getting better, keep guys kind of like finding their roles in the team, I think we're going to have a shot to be on the bubble. And if we get that win at Memphis, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's going to happen. That's a long shot. But if we can somehow find a way to get that win, like, dude, this team going into conference play at 10-3, and three, with a win over at Memphis, win against SMU, win against Georgia Tech. Uh, and I know we we lost when we played Dayton. We lost when we played Michigan State. But like having those two games on the schedule, like the fact that we played them is going to help our strength of schedule. I think we'd have a legitimate shot if we can just get to around 500 in the SEC. So, um, look, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I certainly wouldn't entirely discount it when you have a guy like Anthony Edwards, a guy who very well could be the number one or at least the number two, at least the top three pick in next year's NBA draft. When you have a guy like that on your team, if you can just get enough from the supporting cast, guys like Severe Wheeler, Tyree Crum, Jordan Harris, Tamani Kamara, if we can just get enough from those. And Rayshon Hammonds. Rayshon Hammonds might actually be the key to this team because when Rayshon is scoring, when he gives us 15-plus points and he doesn't get in foul trouble, we play pretty well. So uh, if those those members of the supporting cast can just give us enough of a scoring option outside of Anthony Edwards, I think we're going to have a chance. We'll see. We'll see. But I really like watching this team. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. That's the first time I'm able to say that about Georgia basketball. And man, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. All right. Number nine on my wish list. Let's go to the baseball diamond. Look, I, I know it would be easy to see here and say, look, my my next wish would be for the Diamond Dogs to get to the College World Series this year. And yeah, that would be fantastic. Sure, would I, do I wish that would happen? Absolutely. Sure, you could call that a wish. But I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not even gonna go that far. I'm just gonna say my, my wish here for the Diamond Dogs is just to take the next step and get to a super regional this year. Oh, the College World Series would be fantastic. But let's just take the next step and get out of the regional. Scott Strickland has gotten this program back on solid ground after a, a tough start to his career here as the coach in Athens. But we've hosted two straight regionals. But again, it's time to take the next step. The past two years, we host the regional, but we lost to Duke. Uh, two years ago and last year was FSU. We lost to them twice. Um, so it, it, we just need to get out of the regional, get to a super regional. It'd be great to host super regional. And then who knows what could happen from there. And, and this year, I think this team has the potential to do that. Like if you have the pitchers in college baseball, you have a chance. And we have uh, our, our our number our number one number two starters are as good as just as just about any duo in college baseball coming into this year with Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox. Wilcox kind of worked himself into the rotation towards the end of last year, really started to come on. Hancock was as good of a pitcher as there was in all of college baseball all of last year. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Had an injury uh, late in the year, and that certainly did affect him, but Emerson is is an absolute freaking stud. He's coming back for his junior year. Cole Wilcox will be the last go-round for Cole Wilcox. I know he's a sophomore, but uh, with his age, he can actually declare for the Major League Baseball draft after this year so um let's make use of those guys while we got because we won't have either one of those guys next year and so when you, but when you have two starters like that you're gonna have a chance now this is the second straight year we're gonna lose our two best hitters uh this this year last year was aaron shunk and lj tally but and that's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt it's gonna be tough to replace those guys who are really good players for us good hitters but we do return riley king 
Cam Shepard coming back for his first senior campaign. Uh, and, and, and Shepard was a, he, he hit well as a freshman. He's had two straight down years. Actually started off the year pretty hot last year, then kind of came back down to earth. But he's a better hitter. I still believe he's a better hitter than what he's shown the past two years. We also get Tucker Bradley back in left field. This guy that we uh, basically from the very beginning of the year, he got hurt maybe in the first series of the year last year. He was out the rest of the year with a shoulder injury. So it'd be really, really great to have him back. That certainly will help this offense as well. So I think we're going to have a chance. Uh, I think we're going to be... I mean, actually, I think we're number seven nationally to open the, the rankings. Maybe it was, I think it was Baseball America. And with those stars, we have a chance. we got to find a way to get enough offense, which was kind of the story last year. We, we had a good starting rotation, but uh, we just had to try to find enough offense. We did for the most part last year. I think that'll kind of be the recipe for us again this year. But yeah, that's my wish. Just get to a Super Regional. Take that next step this year in 2020. And finally... Now, for a lot of you, you're going to be like, what? Especially people who are, are new to the program, new to our show here. But uh, as I said at the outset, look, I, I'm I'm just a Georgia fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a Georgia guy. That's who I am. I am a Georgia guy. I love all our sports, all of our teams, all of our players. Um, I'm actually, though, a huge, huge Georgia tennis fan. Actually, you know, outside of Georgia football, I mean, I love basketball. I love baseball. Uh, Georgia tennis is, I mean, just to be honest, just a personal thing for me. I know I'm in the minority here because tennis is a is a fringe sport, uh, fringe sport at best. But Georgia tennis is is probably my second love outside of Georgia football. Uh, and I'm not good at tennis, but I just, I you know, I was I was in uh, in school in the John Isner years, so I had a chance to go see him play when we were really really good back in the day, and I uh, kind of fell in love with it there. And I've just um, and I haven't stopped there. I go to every single match. Actually, travel. Uh, to not, not all the road matches, but the, the road tournaments when we've got like the SEC tournament. Went down to Orlando last year for the Insula tournament and uh, stayed there for a couple of days to watch our girls just barely fall short. But my wish here, and I'm, I'm and I'm, I'm not even going mints. I'm going women's tennis, guys. My wish is for the Georgia women's tennis team to finish the drill and win the whole freaking thing this year. We have every run returning from a team that lost in the championship match to Stanford last season. It was heartbreaking, man. I thought we I thought we had it. I thought we had it, uh, but it just wasn't meant to be. We didn't have our best match there in, in that championship match against Stanford. But we return everyone, guys, literally everyone from that team. And that includes the best singles player in the country, Katarina Jokic. She's a junior. This will almost certainly be her last year here in Athens. She'll go pro after this year. I thought she might go pro after last year. Uh, but fortunately for us, she did not. She uh, And she actually lost in the singles championship match uh, after the uh, the team championships. And, and she was the best player in the country last year, guys. She was number one for most of the year. It, it just She was playing the doubles tournament, uh, the singles tournament, and she played all the way t- uh, to the championship match in the uh, team tournament. So she was just absolutely worn out. The girl she played against in the championship, she didn't do any of that kind of stuff. I mean, the, I forget the exact number of matches she played in consecutive days, but it was something, it was ridiculous. It was like double-digit matches in like the course of like five or six days. Just ridiculous. Because Kat, you know, for, uh, for the team tournament, she played singles and doubles. Then she plays the doubles tournament. Um, and then she goes in the singles. I mean, it was just she played so much tennis, but she's the best player in America. She is back this year. Uh, and if you haven't got a chance to watch her, come out and watch, guys. I mean, she's unbelievable. But it's not just Kat. Kat's fantastic. She's amazing. But it's the depth. We are so strong on every single court, and there is going to be fierce competition to see who our top six singles players will be. 
I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know who's going to be playing on what court. Uh, there were some of the girls had a really big fall campaign, uh, but there's a number of, of, of great players on this Georgia women's tennis team. Mar Gonzalez, who played court two last year. Vivian Wolf played on court four most of the year, but she is a freaking beast. She's top, I think she's top 30 right now in the preseason rankings. Uh, Meg Kowalski played court six of the true freshman last year, but Meg is a freaking monster. You know, in the, it was the, was it the quarterfinals match, I want to say, uh, down in Orlando. She vomited twice. Uh, but she kept fighting and fighting and fighting. She was sick. She was sick as a dog out there. She threw up on the court twice. We, and we didn't really know what was going on because they, they had to stop playing. I'm like, what's going on? What? And why is she hunched over? Like, what's happening? But she had thrown up twice, but she's kept playing and playing. And she won that match. It was a critical match. We would not have won that match going to the semifinals if it was not for Meg fighting through that wing. So she's a baller. Love watching her play. Elena Christofi from Athens, Greece. Got a freshman, Leah Ma. Things like, I think she's 15, number 15 nationally in the preseason rankings. She's going to be a star. I don't know where she's going to fit in. Like, like she's going to play somewhere in the, on, on one of the singles courts and so that means someone who was a uh a starter on one of the singles singles courts last year is not going to play i don't know who that's going to be it's crazy uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of options there we have six players ranked inside the top 100 right now uh just it's just a loaded team it's an absolute loaded team uh this team has been there they have everything it takes they just have to take care of some unfinished business and i will be at every single match cheering very loudly and uh, i desperately want this team to go back and uh take care of some unfinished business uh, now, I would also say on the men's side, I I love the I love both of our tennis teams equally. Uh, I'm a little more excited about the women's right now because they are like they're just really really freaking good. The men have been they've they've struggled the past two years, but I would also love to see our men's program host a regional again after consecutive down years. Like the University of Georgia men's tennis team hosting a regional was just kind of like a fact of life for many 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 years, but the past two years it hasn't happened. Um, it, we we went to the Final Four two years ago when the term was here in Athens, the the uh, insulate term was here in Athens, and we uh, went to the Final Four, and actually we're within a, an eyelash of going to the championship match, uh, lost a heartbreaker to North Carolina and be moved indoors, and that screwed things up and whatever happened. But we were in the Final Four, and then we had everybody back the following year, literally everyone back, and then we didn't even host a regional didn't even get out of the first round the same thing happened again this past year but i will say the future is very very bright i'm, a, I'm a, look man diaz is as good as it gets he's an absolute legend in the sport as is jeff wallace on the women's side so i have complete confidence in this men's tennis team to get things back on track and we've brought in some very talented young players you know philip hitting is going to be a, a sophomore this year he was really good for us as a true freshman last year played no, court number four in singles most of the year got hurt about halfway through the conference slate um, and uh, wasn't able to finish the season. He had a great fall campaign. He's number 12 nationally right now in the, in the preseason rankings. Trent Bride, another sophomore, um, number 57 in the rankings, played court three for us most of the year. And we brought in the number three range recruiting class. Got a guy named Tyler Zing from IMG Academy, Baptiste Insumo from France, Eric Gravilius, I think he's from Switzerland, I want to say. Switzerland or Sweden, one of the two. Um, and uh, Matteo... Uh, Reyes as well. Uh, so a bunch of really talented players, an influx of talent that we need. Like the one thing that's really str- that we kind of struggle with on the men's tennis side is like we just haven't had that like dominant number one singles player. We've been good, we just haven't had that dominant guy. And I, I think we might have found one of those guys, whether it's gonna be Zinc and some or Gravelli's, maybe Philip Henning this year steps up and he'll probably start in that role to start the season. But we have a lot of talent, but it's a nice mix. We have a lot of young talent, but we also have some experienced veterans who play a lot of tennis for us. Robert Loeb's a guy who's back for his senior year. I uh, 
he's an outstanding doubles player. He's got an, an incredible serve. Uh, actually, he started playing court one for us some last year when Jan Zielinski went down. Jan is such a good player, but I miss Jan. But um, he uh, had a good a good junior season. He's had a good career here, but we need him to step up and be even better this year. And then you've got like Alex Phillips, Alex Phillips coming back. You've got Alex Diaz, Manny's son. So there, there's some there's some talent that's been here for a while. We've got some experienced players and we've got some young talent coming in. So I think the men could get back on track this year. And I'm certainly wishing that is the case. But all right, guys, I know tennis is kind of abstract for a lot of you out there, but I got to give my tennis guys some love and girls some love. But uh, that does it for me here today, guys, on the Glory J podcast. That's my 2020 Christmas wish list. I'm sure I missed something, left something off. I try to give you as much as I could there. So let me know what I miss, what you guys are wishing for, what you agree with. Love to hear from you guys. And on Twitter, that's at glory underscore UJ. And before I get out of here, I just do want to wish each and every one of you guys out there a very, very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, whatever holiday it is that you observe, or if you don't observe any holidays, just have a great uh, end of December. Happy New Year, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we just, Charlie, Curtis, and myself, we are so incredibly grateful for all of you guys. We try to make that clear pretty much each and every week. But I just want to make sure we put that out there that we are well aware, guys, that we would not have this show if it was not for you. I mean, we love talking Georgia sports. Um, and we our goal is always just to kind of give you guys the content that we always wished was out there. And like, I don't know if we ever really hit that mark. We try our best. I know we're still very much a mom and pop kind of podcast. Like we're not, we're small fish, small potatoes. We know that. Um, but we're just so grateful for each and every one of you that do listen to us. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, we wouldn't have this show without you. So I'm really glad that we can, we can, we're again able to offer this show for free because we hated having to charge anyone for that. So we're really excited about that. Hopefully we can continue continue our partnership with overtime media it's been a it's been a lot of fun this football season guys it really really has i'm gonna miss it i'm gonna miss it but we're not going anywhere we'll we'll, we cover football all year long of course we'll cover georgia basketball baseball tennis all the other things going on as well we'll have you cover recruiting anything and everything georgia sports we got you guys covered thanks again guys really do appreciate it and merry christmas happy holidays happy new year to everyone out there and as always go dogs